Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. You have called us to be your children, Lord, and uh, we want to worship you, Father, and we want to hear your heart. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use me uh, to speak your heart to the Gathering Place this morning. Uh, for those in person, those on Zoom, and those that might listen on the podcast later on. So, dear Lord, do your thing. We invite you uh, to be here and to move in any way you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to go ahead and switch uh, microphones now. There we go. Can you hear me now? All right. There we go. So I don't anticipate this one being uh, super, super long, um, even though Hebrews 11 is a pretty long chapter. I'm not doing the whole chapter. Uh, so we're continuing our series on Hebrews 11. Um, for those of you tuning in on the podcast, you know we've been interspersing the Hebrews series along with the prophetic series to go, coincide with our uh, prophetic uh, class. And uh, now we're going to finish out uh, the rest of the Hebrews series in the coming weeks. So I'm picking up on Hebrews 11. So last week we covered Hebrews 10, and uh, we actually had a pretty good discussion, and we didn't post that one online because a lot of the stuff that was spoken was uh, not on the microphone, so there's these big gaps of silence. Um, and one of the things we walked away with was like, we, we, we weren't careful to, to really like drill down on what Scripture talks about uh, the necessity for salvation, because we talked a lot about a lot of hypothetical scenarios, and so it warrants uh, making uh, you know, a statement that like, there is a clear um, thing of what salvation entails, and that's found in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, that says uh, this, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So the way this would work in a lot of those hypothetical situations is that either God sends one of his agents, one of us, to somebody to speak the gospel. We call that evangelism. Or he reveals himself through a vision, kind of like with St. Paul. Uh, That's generally how it happens. At the end, two things have to happen. The person has to believe and the person has to confess Jesus. Uh, and that's, uh, Paul really lays that out as simply as he can. We, we didn't tie that up in the loose ends last week, and, and we should have. But uh, just to, to get away from any confusion, I know there's a lot of other um, beliefs and doctrines out there regarding things like baptism by, de- by desire and, and things like that. And uh, we stick with what the scripture says. And the scripture says, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Um, it's a method for salvation. Hold on. Because people are listening in. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's kind of tricky, too. Like, there's that, that idea of, like, death, burial, and resurrection, too. Like, to make sure that they kind of know everything that they're believing in. I don't know. So that would, that would generally, generally tend to fall under the sanctification process, not the salvation process. Salvation, you have to believe in Jesus, and you have to confess his name. Everything after that as part of the sanctification process and understanding uh, the fullness of scriptures and things like that. So that's, uh, that's our, our brief little 
tie-up from, uh, from last week just to avoid any confusion on that. So, but now speaking with that, that we confess with our mouth, we believe in our hearts, belief comes by faith. Uh, and so, it is to this belief in our hearts that we turn to Hebrews 11 uh, this week. It's a long chapter, so I'm going to abbreviate it. Uh, basically, I'm going to do uh, verses 1 and 2, and then jump from 18 through 19. So I'm going to let Kara, you know, try to keep up with my reading here. So starting with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says this. Now faith, this is the, uh, this is the NIV version. Uh, you might have a different version that might read it a little bit differently. Faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And we're going to jump to verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he called... When called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. And by faith even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and as he, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sands of the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. So instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only Son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. So that's, a, that's the main passage we're going to come from. A little side note. Um, there's no way Abraham would have known all that God was going to do. Um, he was 75 years old when God called him out of uh, Mesopotamia. And so he was he was pretty long in years and and you know Sarah was you know probably in her um, 80s at the time or not 80s but 60s but then as they got got along when Isaac came along like Abraham was near 100 and Sarah was around 90 so they they clearly would not have lived long enough to see the promise fulfilled. And the only way that the Hebrews author can make these statements is that now understanding things after the fact, he can look back and see how God's worked over history. Um, and that's, that's something that we would do well to kind of keep in our minds whenever God makes declarations over us. Because a lot of times we'll get a prophetic word and it might not come to pass for decades. And uh, we have to be okay with that because, you know what, God works on his own time frame, Right? And he shows up when he intends to show up. It's not really on our time frame. 
And that's hard, especially like my generation and younger, because we're, we're in this age of instant gratification. You know, like the reason we're still stuck to our cell phones is because every time something happens, we get like this dopamine hit and we just keep, want to keep going. And I mean, that's the whole uh, pattern of addiction. You know, you, you, name, you name the, the vice and, and there can be an addiction there. But we're stuck on this instant gratification and also instant affirmation. Like, like, it's, like my, little, my little girl, Alora, when, when she does something, like she wants to show me right away so I can be like, oh, that's wonderful. She, she wants that affirmation right away. Which is appropriate for a five-year-old. Doesn't necessarily have to happen for a 45-year-old, you know? So it's one of those things. Um, but God, you know, he, he plays the long game. Yeah, he likes to do things in his time, and he doesn't get hurried. So with that in mind, we're going to break down some of these uh, things with uh, Abraham. Because Hebrews goes on and talks about all, a lot of the other heroes of the faith um, in, in Israel's history and how they, they believed God even though they never saw it in their lifetime. Uh, so we're going to really drill down on Abraham because he's really the first one, the big one, uh, that, that gets a lot of uh, press uh, in the book. But first we're going to start out with the very first couple of verses. It says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You might have, in, in other translations, say, say something like, faith is um, the conviction of things hoped for, the, uh, the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. So, hope is not something that, in our modern day, we think of hope in terms of something that we kind of wish for, right? Oh, I, I hope I get a new grill for my birthday, right? Or I hope I get, um, Elora hopes she gets a new scooter for her birthday, right? So there's this wishful thing. And in Scripture, that's not what hope is. Hope is something that has been promised and that we are expecting. Uh, and so whenever we see hope in the Bible, it's something that we like expect. It's, it's as good as had, it's just not there yet, right? Um, and that's what we're looking at here, where faith is, is the guarantee, is the assurance of things that, that, that have been promised to us. And what we can see, uh, especially in Ephesians 1.4, you don't have to pull this one up, but Paul says that the Holy Spirit that we receive, right, all the way from, from Acts 2, anytime we receive the Holy Spirit, when we come to the Lord, the power of that Holy Spirit is what we call the down payment for God's promises. It's just like I go to uh, the Chevy dealership down the road, I give them $5,000, that's my down payment for this car. I get to drive home with something that day, right? I mean, it'll take two hours of paperwork, but I will get to drive something home. That is the Holy Spirit, right? God has said, I'm promising you all of this. So as the down payment, you're getting the Holy Spirit. So everything, everything we have associated with the Holy Spirit, right? Everything from, from tongues and miracles and healings and revelation to the ability to endure difficult times. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to do that. That's not just us white-knuckling ourselves into salvation. The Holy Spirit empowers us to go through difficult times. All of that is just simply that 10% down payment, right, of that other 90% of God's kingdom of heaven. And so what the author of Hebrews is saying is that faith is knowing because we have that down payment that there is more, that God does have more for us. 
So it's the assurance, it's that confidence of God's promises. And it's the evidence of things unseen. Which means that, like this whole faith, this assurance of things hoped for, it's proof positive that things are happening beyond our ability to understand in the natural world. Like we are talking about a transcendent, right, that integrates the supernatural world and the way God works. So it's the evidence of the unseen. The Holy Spirit comes on us. That's nothing that can be given a, a natural explanation to. I mean, like, skeptics try, but the Holy Spirit is something completely transcendent. It, it goes beyond nature and human power. So our faith, and those things that we're hoping for, evidence of the unseen. <clears throat> So now we're going to take some of that and we're going to put it into uh, Abraham. So we're going to start with Abraham's journey. Um, so we're going to jump back in, in Genesis now. Abraham leaves Mesopotamia. I should have put a map up, but I didn't. Um, Mesopotamia is between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, right? And God calls him West. Come West, young man. Right? About 75. Well, God can still call him a young man. Abraham leaves Mesopotamia. Uh, this is Genesis 12. 1 through 9. A little bit of historical context, you know, because we think, oh, the ancient world's all just this big mushmash of things. But, you know, it's about as distinct as uh, 21st century history. We, we know that different empires came and went. Uh, he comes out of Mesopotamia. He starts his journey somewhere around uh, 2091 B.C. Um, what, what's happened there is that uh, one, one major kingdom slash empire has already come down and, and dissolved, there's a new one that's trying to do an upstart that doesn't last very long called Ernama, and it's during this attempt at setting up a new dynasty, so there's, a, there's political change in the air, right? You know, you, we, 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 we can feel some political change in the air today, right? So things are happening. When, when things change like that, people go on the move. So this is not uncommon. And in the midst of all of this movement, God starts calling Abraham out. Because Abraham was already established. He already had livestock, he already had land. Things are changing and God says, I'm calling you out. So God calls him out to leave Mesopotamia to go to Canaan, which is about the distance from like Pittsburgh to Kansas City. I mean, that's basically uh, the distance that, that Abraham's going. So imagine being in Pittsburgh and the culture that's grown up around the steel industry, and there's a whole way of doing things, and then you move to Kansas. Right? You're like, what is in Kansas? <laughs> you know, you have this muddy Missouri River, and you got a couple of other things, and you got a bunch of cow hands, and it's a, it's a city that where livestock gets treated, right? It's, it's a whole different thing. So God calls him out to a completely strange land. And if you guys remember Hammurabi from your school, this is about 300 years before Hammurabi and Hammurabi's law code and all of that. About 300 years before that. So there's a little historical background for you, for all you history people. So here's, uh, here's Genesis, uh, chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out of Haran. 
He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abraham, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. <clears throat> at that time the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev, which is in the southern part. So, to summarize that, Abraham gets called out of like a seat of empires. The empires are rising and falling here in Mesopotamia. So it's a hotbed of political movement of where people are establishing empires, like, like, a, like, a, like a societal hub, if you will. And God calls him out to this area called Canaan. Um, it's an unfamiliar land. Um, the author of Hebrews says that all of his life, Abraham was a foreigner. He never really was able to call the place home, even though God promised that he would, uh, he would inherit that land. And Isaac and Jacob, they were all foreigners in this land. And to such an extent that they were tent dwellers. Like, they never built a solid structure house to live in. They were always tent dwellers through all of their lives. And what the author of Hebrews pulls out is that, you know, 75 years old, he gets called out on this journey, and he goes, and he serves the Lord for like the next, what, 20, 40 years, you know, to, to see, try to see some promises get fulfilled. The author of Hebrews says that it's clear that Abraham is going to continue to be a foreigner in this. Now, this author can only tell by looking back to see what God does, right? Abraham doesn't know when it's going to happen. He just knows that God promised it. So the author of Hebrews is able to say, Abraham was looking to God's city, not a human city. It was clear that he was looking for a country to call his own. So for whatever reason, Mesopotamia did not feel like home. Even though he was born there, he grew up there, something just wasn't right. And so when God calls him out, calls him to Canaan, it's clear he's looking for a place to call home. Don't we all? A place where we can hang our hat up, so to speak. And he was so in search of that and so following the Lord that he never looked back to Mesopotamia, right? Like when you look at the uh, Israelites coming out of Egypt, what are they constantly saying? We should go back to Egypt. We had three square meals a day at Egypt. Yeah, we built the temple, but it was better in Egypt so we don't die in the wilderness. They kept pining to go back. Abraham didn't do that. Abraham kept looking forward. If he had looked back, he would have had an opportunity to go back. It was not an option for Abram. So he didn't look back to where he came from. And the author of Hebrews goes on to say that Abram and his son and his grandson, they all died without seeing the promise fulfilled. Now how encouraging, just think about it, in our age, God gives us a, a, a prophecy. Now one of the big ones, uh, I don't know if it's, it's still a big one, but back when we were younger in the Barclays group, it almost seemed like every other person had a call to the nations. I'm like, okay, so I think at this point there's maybe 
six of them are in the nations right now, <laughs> right? Um, was it a real call? I mean, it could be. I don't know, right? Some, some, some of it is like big talk. That happens. But some of it, God is being very faithful. How many of us, in something like that, are willing to acknowledge that it might be, after I'm dead and gone, that the things that I've done affect the nations? Like, are we okay with that? Or are we like, no, Lord, I want to go to the nations. You know, maybe we get the travel bug or something. I don't know. Whatever the Lord calls us for, we have to be obedient to. They, they, they died and never saw the promise fulfilled. And even throughout all of Israel's history, that was only a partial fulfillment. It doesn't start getting fully fulfilled until Jesus comes and starts bringing the Gentiles into the church. And that's when it starts exploding. So that God's promise to Abraham, Abraham does become the father of many nations, not just Israel and Edom. And, uh, let's see, uh, Israel, Edom, what's the, the two from, from Lot's uh, kids? Anyway, there's like four nations. Now, now, God's thinking global in scope, right? Abraham desired a better country. He desired what God wanted for him. And so he stuck with it. And because of Abraham's faithfulness, we can see God prepares a city for him. He prepares a city for Abram. After he passes on, right, he goes to be with the Lord. And then when we get to Jesus, we see that articulated a little bit more. Where Jesus, I believe it's in John, where he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And he's talking to his disciples. And in another spot he says, in my Father's house are many mansions. And I would not have said so if it were not so. So God is preparing a dwelling place for his people that is built by God and not built by the hands of man. He's not building an empire on earth based on politics. He's building a kingdom of heaven based on the kingdom principles, the eternal principles of God. And so Abraham is now seeing this way more fully fulfilled um, in the presence of the Lord. But it wasn't easy for Abraham, right? Well, it's, it wouldn't be easy for a 75-year-old to go on a long road trip on foot halfway across the United States, right? That's basically the distance. But there's more to it. Abraham is tested. Right? So Genesis 21, so we're going to jump ahead. 21, verses 1 through 8, it says this. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of uh, Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. So here God had promised Abraham, you're going to have a son. And it took so long that he ends up having an illegitimate son, right, named uh, Ishmael. Right? It is Ishmael, right? And after that, then he has the legitimate son. And now that this son is getting a little bit older, God says, I want you to go sacrifice him. It's a burnt offering. It's like, wait a minute. You just said that many nations are going to come from him. Like, how is this going to happen? Hmm. So that's the instructions that the Lord gave Isaac, or gave uh, Abraham. So Abraham is asked to offer up Isaac. A couple of notes about this. 
for, I, I just, you know, as, as you study, you know, you learn new things. For centuries, we have translated in our English translations, um, God says, take your son, your only begotten son. Right? That's, that's the, the famous phrase, right? Only begotten son. And we also get that in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Because all we basically did in, for the last couple of hundred years is like taking the Greek word, uh, it's a compound word for mono, meaning only, and generis, which is uh, to beget, and we put that together and say it's only begotten. And that therefore it must be the one and only. There's a problem with that because clearly Abraham had another son, Ishmael. So it's not his only begotten son. It might have been Sarah's only begotten son, but it's not Abraham's. So, as we found recently, specifically with the, the Qumran scrolls that have gotten translated, so newer translations will reflect this. Um, it's not only begotten, but, but that term, uh, monogenes, really means like unique son. And so if we translate it that way, it's the unique son of promise. So now Abraham's, God's telling to Abraham, take your son, your unique son, your very special unique son of promise, whom you love, and go to the region and offer him. So now we've got this unique son but God has made this promise out of numerous, you know, out of him, numerous uh, nations are going to come. So Abraham, and only the Hebrew author can see this after the fact, Abraham had to have considered that God could raise Isaac from the dead. So we don't see resurrections happening this early on in Genesis. This is not a common uh, thing that happens. Abraham, knowing God's promises, knew that God could even raise Isaac from the dead. He needed to be faithful to the Lord. So, and if we've read the story, we know that like he takes his son up there, he dismisses the servants, they, they put the wood on the, on the altar, and then he ties his son down, and just as the knife's about ready to come down, the angel says, stop. He's like, now I know you wouldn't spare your son. Um, and then there's a ram caught in the thickets, and so they're able to sacrifice the ram. Yeah. Now you got to, man. Okay, so like, okay, you said like studying, you learn a lot. That's really good, right? But the Holy Spirit also reveals things, you know, that we can't see, you know. So God gave me a dream about Abraham's time. And I just want, so people can have it in their mind how it is, you know, like to picture it. I, the Lord showed me and it was a really primitive time. It was a really primitive time. We picture them like with robes. They didn't even have robes. I saw Abraham's men and they were, they kind of looked like the Egyptians. They could just, you know, they're kind of like, didn't work fully like covered and stuff and, it was just very primitive looking, you know, but they were, they had really good like skills in like creating things and, and, and like they had little intricate, like little, um, just bit like things that they create type of thing. Like, what do they call it? Like, like, not like figurines, but like just, they were very uh, like, what is the word? Like creative type of thing. But it was like a really primitive time the Lord showed me. And I knew right away it was, it, God showed me it was Abraham's time. So just so people can see like, cause they, they make it look like it's like, it looked like, say, like Daniel's time with robes and stuff, but it was really, really primitive looking, you know, and it kind of makes sense if you look at it, you know, because they use like bows and arrows and stuff like that. But, yeah. yeah, thank you. Mm. 
Yeah, so yeah, that was that was Juan uh, just uh, sharing a vision he had of Abraham's time. So very good. Thank you, Juan. And so they're able to, to sacrifice the, the ram that's caught in the thickets. And um, Isaac, in all intents and purposes, was received back from the dead. Because he was as good as dead. I mean, like, it was just one plunge away from death. And uh, God restored all of that. He said, now I know you're not going to spare your son for even me. You're faithful. Uh, you're going to see these promises are going to be fulfilled. So Abraham got tested in the midst of all this. But it's through Abraham's faithfulness, not just that Israel gets born. That's the first step. Israel gets born. A kingdom is established, specifically the Davidic kingdom. And from there, we start getting this Davidic covenant about one of David's descendants being on the throne forever, which sets the stage for Jesus coming, God's, God's unique son, right? Not his one and only his unique son to come on and be the eternal ruler of God's kingdom, fulfilling all of the promises that God had given through uh, all of the Old Testament history. And just to kind of touch on this a little bit, also asserting dominion over supernatural powers and entities. Um, so if you have like regional spiritual powers over the United States or over Israel. You kind of get some glimpses of that in like Daniel and things like that. But it even says in, in Peter that, that when Jesus died, he descended into, uh, our translation says hell, but he descends into the, the realm of the dead and declares victory and power over all of those in the realm of the dead and over all of those who are overseeing uh, those in the realm of the dead. So He's gone through every dimension where there's any cognizant being, whether living or dead or spiritual or physical, and declared victory and power over everything. And so what we have is like Abraham as a human being following the promises of God, but not ever seeing it fully fulfilled and not even fully comprehending that Jesus is, has got this huge like universe scope of what he's doing. It's not just over humanity. It's not just over political systems. It's over you know, what Paul would call principalities and powers and angels and demons and all of that, that Jesus is dominion over all of that. I mean, he's calling people into his kingdom, calling people into his uh, authorship and rulership. And so it all starts you know, for us in this story with Abraham because Abraham was faithful. And Abraham did what the Lord said. And he had struggles along the way. He had his doubts. I mean, Ishmael is a very, very clear example of his and Sarah's doubts about this promised child being fulfilled, you know, trying to do things in their own strength. Like he, he had his struggles. And at the end of the day, he was still faithful to the Lord. And that's what we're called to. It's not that we're never going to struggle. It's not that we're never going to have a hard time with all of this. It's that God is faithful and that he will see us through. And our call is to be faithful and to act according to that faith. Because remember, right at the beginning of Hebrews, faith is the substance of things hoped for, right? Like the substance, the, the tangibility, right? The things that we can touch. 
are things that God has promised. So we can touch, well, in a sense, right? We can, we can contact the Holy Spirit. We can experience the Holy Spirit. And there's that, that tangibility that happens there saying that God's going to fulfill the rest of His promise to us. And it's the evidence of things not seen, like miracles happening, prophecies happening, healings happening, beyond medical scope, right? Something to that. It's the evidence of things not seen. There's this unseen power that's coming from God. It's affecting our physical world. And faith is kind of like the linchpin, is the key to that. And so we follow Abraham and that we follow the voice of the Lord. You know, that, that course on prophecy, if you were to simplify it all down, it's simply hearing the voice of the Lord for yourself and for people today. Um, it, it's, it's, it really does come down to that because Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. So we practice listening to the voice of the Lord. When we do hear it, we go do, we listen, we obey. That's, uh, that's the one thing that um, in the Minor Prophets and in uh, Samuel versus uh, Saul, the, the phrase that comes out is, has not the Lord preferred obedience to sacrifice? Right? So we hear the voice of the Lord, we respond in obedience. And then God does the rest. God fulfills His promises. So in conclusion, told you I tried to keep it a little on the short side. In conclusion, Hebrews 11 wraps it up with this statement in verse 39. This is the whole list that he's named out of all the people. All of these were commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. So, if God has given you promises, hold on to them. Even, even if we don't live long enough to see them, if God has legit given us promises, He's good for it. He's going to fulfill those promises. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. So what he's saying is that like God made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He made promises to David and to Samuel, to Saul, right? He's made promises throughout Scripture. But like we said, God's on his own timeline. <laughs> Their promises don't get fully realized until way after the fact. And promises to us as well. Because God's promises don't just stretch into the next generation or into the next epoch. God's promises stretch into eternity. And we have to keep eternity in mind when we're seeing God's promises. Because God's promise to Abraham that you'll be the father of many nations ends up being more fully fulfilled, not completely, but more fully fulfilled in Acts 2 than it does at the end of Genesis. Because in Acts 2, basically you, you, all the nations of people that are in Jerusalem at the time represent like the 70 some odd nations that were in existence during the book of Genesis. And so this table of nations, if you will, is God claiming the nations back to his inheritance, claiming the nations into his kingdom, into the new Israels, if you would call it that, so that all of these Gentile nations are now under dominion of Jesus, who is, in a sense, a descendant of Abraham. So now all the world is being blessed by Abraham 
This is Acts 2, right? How much more is that going to happen when the Lord comes back and sets up dominion? So God's got this huge thing in scope that, that we're just catching glimpses of even today uh, because he's got a plan. And when we're faithful to the Lord, we become a part of that plan. We become a part of those blessings. So, huh, in conclusion, um, God's promises to heroes of the faith extend far beyond what they would ever see in their lifetimes. God's promises also to us extend far beyond even what we can see in our lifetimes. In one sense, God takes care of our needs. You know what? Like It's great for God to promise us something for 500 years down the road with our generations, generations, generations. It's another thing to say, Lord, I need some chicken to feed my kids this week, right? God provides our, our everyday needs. Jesus even talks about that. He says, you know, look at the lilies of the field. Like, they don't save up money and go buy the, the fanciest clothes. God adorns them naturally. He takes care of their needs. He takes care of the needs of the birds. And they don't worry about it because they trust God. God takes care of it. So with us. Like, God's going to take care of our particular needs, and God's got these huge promises for those that obey Him. But we have to realize that we're still only part of a larger plan that transcends time and space and history and our circumstances. Because in the end, like, like I remember growing up hearing, I just need me and Jesus. And that is not a biblical concept whatsoever. Me and Jesus is not a thing. It's God and the people of God. Like, Do I have a personal relationship with the Lord? Yes. And I also because of that, I'm called to be in relationship with his people, with the church. That's why uh, another passage in Hebrews says, don't forsake the assembling together of one another. Like, we're in this together. We are the community of God. Like, there are no lone rangers in the kingdom of heaven. And so, we are part of something larger that transcends the time, space, history, circumstances. And it's bigger than, than our own sense of self-importance. Like I, I, I hope I never get to the point where I think that I'm, I'm bigger, better, smarter, faster than anybody because I'm not. There's always, like, like I'm, not the, I'm not the bee's knees when it comes to things, right? I'm just a servant of the Lord. I'm here to serve the Lord, to seek his face, and to do what I'm being called to do. That's, that's it. You're like, you know, Paul says there's no place for selfish ambition. That doesn't mean that we, we don't have drive and we do things to the best of our ability, it means that we're not in it for ourselves. It means we're in it for the kingdom of heaven and those that are entrusted to us. And so when we keep that perspective and we serve the Lord and we obey the Lord and all of that, God will be found faithful to those who pursue and seek him. Just like he was with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all of the other heroes that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. So... Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, Father, that you are faithful far beyond any way, anything that we can ask, seek, or imagine, or even comprehend. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bless us with your presence, bless us with a vision of what we're called to do, Lord, and help us to follow you, to seek your face, and be obedient to what you call us to. We give you the thanks, the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. 
If you are blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpchicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to The Gathering Place podcast. God bless you and have a great week.